0: Welcome to the Meeting Room, a place to gather and discuss all things relating to meat safety, quality, and production. My name is Brianna Boozman, and thank you for joining me in the Meeting Room. In the past week in the United States, approximately 665,000 cattle were harvested, producing approximately 550 million pounds of beef. Of those harvested, 84% graded choice or better. In meat industry news this week, a graphic was shared stating that the climate plan would lead to Americans needing to cut red meat consumption by 90%, which would lead to us only eating about four burgers a year. Fox News, the ones who originally reported this, retracted the statement saying that it was misreported. I know that I saw a lot of things shared about this on Twitter earlier in the week, And I know that social media can get to be a little bit of an echo chamber, and most of the people that I interact with are consumers of meat products, but from what I saw, I sure don't think that burgers are going to be going away anytime soon. Cargill entered into a joint venture with the Loves Family of Companies, which operates truck stops across the United States. This venture will focus on producing and marketing diesel made from animal fat. The plant, which will produce nearly 80 million gallons of diesel annually, will be built in Hastings, Nebraska, and will create about 50 jobs in the area. Production of the diesel will utilize beef tallow, uh, which is a great way to add some more value to that carcass and really be able to utilize all of the products produced by that animal. This week, we are going to be talking about meat grading, and so this is a really Um, Important topic in meat science is a fairly basic level um, and something that we often hear the terms meat grades or quality grade or yield grade, um, and it's something that is expected to be kind of a common sense topic, uh, but it's something that if you haven't been exposed to it or haven't actually been in the industry or um, heard those terms being used, um, it can be kind of a difficult thing to understand when you're first getting started. So when we talk about grading, there's predominantly two forms that we talk about. Yield grading, which answers the question of how much. How much meat do we expect that that animal will provide for us? How many pounds of boneless, closely trimmed retail cuts can we get from that carcass? And quality grade, which answers the question of how good. How good is that product gonna taste? Is it going to be palatable, tender, juicy, and flavorful? When we talk about grading, um, we're not talking about safety or anything with inspection. Meat inspection is legally required for the sale of meat. However, meat grading is a voluntary program, and it's something that is paid for by the packer, and that is done because it's a great marketing tool. Um, they're able to sell the product. Based on yield and quality grade. And so to get started, uh, we're going to first discuss yield grading. So answering that question of how much. And when we think about yield grading, uh, we specifically use the definition of boneless, closely trimmed retail cuts. And when we're talking about the beef animal, uh, which is where yield grading is predominantly used, uh, it's specifically focusing on the round which is the hind quarter of the carcass where that back leg uh, was attached into, the loin and the rib, so these are your middle meats. They're the uh, primals or the big portions that are along the top portion of that animal, and the chuck or the shoulder. And these four areas make up the majority of the weight of that carcass as well as the majority of the value. So we see a lot of our steaks, our roasts, Um, A lot of ground product come from those big four sections. We don't uh, worry as much about the plate, the flank, and the brisket, so more of that center body, kind of what would be on the belly of the live animal. Those aren't getting us our high-value cuts. So when we're talking about yield, um, it's specifically focusing on the round, loin, rib, and chuck, and the boneless, closely trimmed retail cuts that you are getting from those specific areas. So yield grade is measured on a one to five scale, with one being the best and five being the worst. One indicates that it's going to be a heavy muscled carcass that has um, a light amount of fat cover. We expect that a carcass that has a yield grade of one to have over 52% boneless closely trimmed retail cuts. So what that's saying is if we have say an 850 pound carcass that's a yield grade one, we would expect over 52% of that carcass to actually make it into edible product, which would be approximately 440 pounds. Um, And again, that number is specifically looking at the round, loin, rib, and chuck. So that number can vary a little bit uh, when we add in some of the weight from the few other primals that are still included. Um, And it can also vary based on the amount of boneless versus bone-in cuts. A yield grade five, on the other hand, is gonna have less than 45% of boneless, closely-trimmed retail cuts. So again, if we're looking at an 850-pound carcass that has a yield grade 5, we would anticipate that it would only have about 380 pounds of boneless, closely trimmed retail cuts. So that can end up making quite a difference. If both of those carcasses started at the same weight but had that much of a difference in terms of their yield grade, they could end up producing almost 60 pounds or more difference in terms of their final edible product, which is gonna be a huge difference in terms of the cutout value um, and the actual value that that carcass has. So when it comes to estimating yield grade, we're trying to find the balance of muscle and fat that this carcass represents. And so in order to calculate yield grade on a beef carcass, we're going to take into account the hot carcass weight or the weight of the carcass immediately following harvest. So the head's been removed, the hide's been removed, hooves, viscera, uh, blood, and we're left with the carcass that's made up of meat, fat, bone, and connective tissue. That's our hot carcass weight. Additionally, we're gonna take measurements of the ribeye area. So beef carcasses are ribbed or separated uh, between the 12th and the 13th rib traditionally beef animals have 13 ribs once in a while you'll see them with 14 uh, But they're typically separated and we typically see them at that 12th and 13th rib And we measure ribeye area because it's a great indicator of muscling on the entire animal So that longissimus is a support muscle It's not something that's gonna be used so much in locomotion but seeing a a large ribeye area is gonna indicate that that overall carcass is gonna be heavy muscled. In addition to rib eye area, we also look at the amount of back fat that we see at that 12th rib. So we can actually measure how thick that subcutaneous fat is or the fat that's on the outside of the carcass. Uh, This fat is used to protect the muscle, um, but it's also just a place for uh, fat deposition. It isn't protecting organs, Um, It's just really being used as an energy uh, storage space. And finally, we're going to measure the percent of kidney, pelvic, and heart fat. So this is the fat that's actually within uh, the carcass body cavity. And during life, it functions to protect those internal organs. And though uh, traditionally for kidney, pelvic, and heart fat, or KPH, KPH, we only see it at about a 1% to 3% level. So that may not seem like that huge of a difference, um, just thinking about you know 1% to 3%. However, again, if we're going back to our 850-pound carcass example, um, a 1.5% kidney, pelvic, and heart fat would be about 13 pounds, 2.5% would be about 21 pounds, and 3% would be about 25 pounds. And the thing with kidney, pelvic, and heart fat is that it's a really gritty, almost chalky fat, and it is not very palatable. It can't be used in further processed products. It's not going to be incorporated into things like ground beef or sausages. Um, It's going to go into rendering. And so it's likely going to be sold for a lower cost compared to a lot of the other value of the carcass. And it isn't making it into that uh, percent of boneless closely trimmed retail cuts. So ideally, on these carcasses, we would see a large ribeye area, uh, indicating heavy muscling. We would see um, some back fat. Back fat isn't necessarily a bad thing. We just don't want to see it in excess amounts. And we would see limited amounts of that kidney, pelvic, and heart fat. And hot carcass weight too high can also poorly affect that yield grade. Traditionally, if we start seeing those heavier weights in carcasses, um, a lot of times that's also going to be associated with some of that excess fat. So, once we've determined how much meat we can get from that animal, we can start thinking about how good it's going to taste. And that's where quality grade comes in. And typically, when we talk about beef grading, uh, quality is probably the first thing that comes to mind. And so, Uh, When we talk about quality grade in beef animals, again, we're thinking about that palatability, the tenderness, the juiciness, the flavor. And this is going to be determined by maturity and marbling, or that intramuscular fat. So when we talk about maturity of the animal, uh, when beef animals are harvested, they don't go to the packing plant with a birth certificate. Uh, The birth date written on their ear tag isn't enough of an identifier for us to know how old that animal is. So because of that, we look at physiological indicators of maturity. So if you think about people, when we talk about physiological indicators, as we age, we start seeing some wrinkles, some gray hair, uh, maybe some age spots. Similarly, in beef animals, we can see indicators of maturity uh, within the carcass. So the first thing that's looked at is dentition, or looking at their teeth. If a beef animal still has all of their deciduous teeth, or what we refer to as baby teeth in people, or if they have one pair or less of permanent incisors, they are considered a maturity, or within that 9 to 30 months of age. Once they have over three permanent incisors, they're considered over 30 months of age and can fall within the B, C, D, and E categories. So B maturity is 30 to 42 months of age, C maturity is 42 to 72 months of age, D maturity is 72 to 96 months of age, and E maturity is over 96 months of age. And the reason that we look at maturity is because we want to try to find those carcasses that are over that 30 months of age time point. And the reason that this is done is because as a beef animal ages, it becomes more susceptible to BSE, or excuse me as I pronounce this, bovine spongiform encephalopathy, also known as mad cow. BSE is a prion disease in the nervous system And if a carcass is identified as over 30 months of age, we have to remove this specified risk material or anything that is in contact with the nervous system. So the whole spinal column will be removed. There's some different points within the carcass uh, that have to be removed, any nervous tissue. Uh, So with the spinal column removed, we won't be getting any T-bone steaks, we won't get porterhouses, uh, nothing that is going to be a bone-in cut from those middle meats. And it's not that that meat is unsafe, uh, but it's just an additional precaution that is going to be taken to ensure consumer safety. In addition to dentition, we can look for other indicators of maturity on the skeleton, one of those being bone ossification. So On the thoracic vertebrae, so thoracic vertebrae are the vertebrae that are attached to ribs, and from the top of them or along that spinal column, we have a thoracic processy, which at the end of that is a cartilage button. So I know that ends up being a lot. Hopefully you can picture that. But when we split the carcass in half, Along the back, we can see um, some of these little white buttons that are from that cartilage. And as that animal ages, that cartilage ossifies, and we start seeing more indicators of that bone. Additionally, we can start thinking of things like um, the sacral vertebrae. So the vertebrae that tie in right before the tail. In a young animal, those are all individual vertebrae. As that animal ages, those sacral vertebrae ossify and they join to form the sacrum. And so if we see that on the carcass, we can start seeing that indicator of it being a more mature animal. Additionally, rib shape can change. Round red ribs are indicators of young animals, whereas white and flat ribs are indicators of an older animal. Outside of skeletal ossification, we can also look at the color of the lean or the color of the actual meat. Um, A young animal is gonna have more of a bright cherry red color. So under that 30 months of age, uh, when you think of a nice ribeye steak that you're getting at the retail counter, it's gonna be a bright cherry red. That's ideal what we wanna see. As that animal ages, it's going to create a darker color lean. And this is because of myoglobin. So this is something that I'll talk about a lot uh, throughout this podcast, because it ties in in a lot of different areas. But myoglobin carries oxygen to the muscle. And similar to hemoglobin in your blood, it's what gives muscle that bright red color. And so Um, as that animal ages, if we think of something that's immaturity, or we said over 96 months of age, likely is going to be an old cull cow who has spent some time on pasture or on range and has been moving a lot and has been using those muscles and those muscles have needed a lot more oxygen. They're getting a lot of that myoglobin and they're creating a darker colored product. On a side note, when you thaw out meat and you get some liquid left on the plate or in the package that you're thawing it in, that's red and looks like blood, it's not blood, it's actually just this myoglobin in water uh, that has been removed from that uh, lean tissue as that meat was thawed. So typically, darker colored lean equals an older animal. Once we've determined the maturity of the carcass, we can then go into marbling or uh, the intramuscular fat and what people typically associate with a really good eating experience with their beef. And again, uh, this fat doesn't really serve much of a purpose during life in terms of protection of that animal, um, but it is an energy source. And so excess energy in the diet Um, along with genetics, along with environment, um, all of these things can impact the actual amount of marbling that that animal is going to produce. So with beef quality grades, there's eight different grades. Prime, choice, select, standard, commercial, utility, cutter, and canner. Prime, choice, and select are predominantly reserved for those younger animals. Having just slight amounts of marbling is gonna fall within the select category. Uh, As we start seeing more of that intramuscular fat, it can fall within USDA choice. And uh, when we start seeing abundant amounts of marbling, that's when it falls into that prime category. So we're really concerned about marbling because it's thought to have impacts on flavor, juiciness, and tenderness. Uh, Growing up, I spent a lot of time with my grandma and my grandma liked to bake and so I spent a decent amount of time doing that too. And she always told me that more butter is more better because butter is flavor. Fat is flavor. And it's really similar when we start talking about beef as well. The more of this intramuscular fat, the more flavor we are likely going to have. When it comes to tenderness, intermuscular fat or marbling can be really beneficial as it breaks up that protein. Uh, Picture a steak right now, picture your ideal steak and take out all of the marbling in that. You're left with a lot of bright red lean tissue that would likely be very tough to try to consume. Now picture that perfect steak again and add in a little extra marbling. And think about how that fat is actually breaking up that protein. It's making some divisions in where uh, that protein structure lies. And because of that, when that fat melts, it makes it easier to chew through. Uh, The fat provides some lubrication in chewing, um, and it makes it easier to digest, to taste, to pick up those flavors that are within the product. So because of all those reasons, we want to see a lot of that intramuscular fat um, and get a higher quality product. So once we've determined the animal's maturity, as well as its level of marbling, we can find out what its quality grade actually is. So an animal that falls within that A maturity, so under 30 months of age, can qualify for prime, choice, select, and standard quality grades. So prime is going to be really high value. Um, choice is what we predominantly see in the industry. Last week in the United States, approximately 72% of the beef harvested graded choice, whereas 12% graded select and 12% graded prime. For a long time, those prime numbers were down closer to about 5%. And so it's really great to be able to see that continue to increase Our more mature animals, so falling in that C, D, E category, can be broken down by commercial, utility, and cutter quality grades. So to qualify for commercial, they still have to have the same amount of marbling that you would see for a choice or a prime quality grade in one of those younger animals. But since they are older, and since you're going to see some more Uh, Indicators of maturity in that product, it's not going to be able to be advertised and marketed as that prime and choice uh, quality product. So, taking those things into account can really determine uh, the value of that carcass, and that's why grading matters. So, unlike inspection, grading is voluntary, it is something that's paid for by the packers. Inspection is required for the sale of meat products but grading is voluntary and it's done uh, to help promote the product in in order to market the product. And it's done by the Ag Marketing Service or AMS and through grading is where we get a lot of certification programs as well. So certified Angus beef, certified Hereford beef. There's over 60 different beef programs um, that are just different avenues for beef to be marketed. And almost all of them have some kind of requirement for grading, for yield grading, for quality grading, um, and may have some additional characteristics as well. Certified Angus beef, for example, has uh, requirements in terms of hide color, carcass weight, ribeye area size. So a lot of things that end up going into that yield grading formula Um, are also part of their brand or their certification. And this is done um, in order to try to determine value. Uh, Carcass grading uh, can determine value for the producer. If they're being sold on the grid to the packer, um, it determines the value that that packer can sell the product for to the retailer. So if they're trying to sell uh, prime steaks versus select, It's also going to determine where that product is sold and who its intended market is going to be. It determines the value for the retailer. So think about your grocery store. The amount that they charge for that product is likely based on that grade or maybe some of those certifications that it could fall into. And finally, it's going to determine the value for the consumer. Um, If you see a product that is uh, stamped with a USDA Prime versus USDA Select, you may be more willing to pay a higher price for that prime product, or you may decide that for you it is not worth that value. And so uh, using grading can really determine that value for that whole animal all the way down the line. And it also facilitates market news reporting. Uh, There's reports put out every day by USDA that breaks down um, carcass numbers, carcass weights, Um, choice select spread prices, and really can give a good idea of where the market is at. And finally, grading is done to provide a means of standardization. So the intent with it is that every single time you buy a USDA choice ribeye, that it tastes the exact same. If you cooked it the same, um, seasoned it the same, all of those things, we just want it to be as consistent as possible. So a few months back, I came across a tweet that I thought really uh, fit well with this topic, and it went something like this. Uh, Here's the problem with fruit. It's inconsistent. Some apples are delicious. Some taste bad. Sometimes blueberries are great, and sometimes they're disgusting. You know what's the same every time? Doritos. And it's so true. How often... Have you purchased fruit and it sat either on your counter or in your fridge and it's gone bad, um, or you tried it and you thought it was a bad batch and you didn't really eat much of it? I have never done that with a bag of Doritos. I open them and they're gone almost immediately. They taste the same every time. It doesn't matter if I bought them when I was at home in South Dakota or when I was down here in Nebraska, they always taste the same and they're consistent. And because of that, I'm going to go back and I'm going to buy them again. And that is the goal with grading, is that it provides standardization and it provides something that the consumer can know what to expect from it. If they buy a prime product, they should be able to have an idea of what it's going to taste like. And if they buy that again two weeks later, uh, they want it to taste the same. And that's why there is such a push on these certifications. Uh, I said there's over 60 different types of those branded programs. Um, And again, it's all to try to create a consistent, high-quality eating experience for consumers. Hopefully, this was a good look into what grading looks like, both on the yield grading and quality grading side. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to join me today in the meeting room, and I look forward to visiting with you again.